0: <laughs> They're squirmy and wormy and purple and green.
1: The grossest little creatures that you've ever seen. Creepy, <laughs> creepy <laughs> cloveries. Fill the monster mold with the colored plastic goo And make a creepy crawler from my yucky monster soup. They're ucky, yucky, squirmy, wormy, very scary, sometimes hairy, squiggly, wiggly, creepy crawly. Creepy <laughs> cloveries. <laughs> out your sister, embarrass your dad. You can be a little creep
0: without being bad.
1: So Creepy It's Carpenter is a two-month Halloween series featuring the best and the worst of Carpenter's horror movies, included The Fog, Ghost of Mars, Christine, and more. The Thing and They Live sold separately. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColdSploitation.com, and I'm joined by my co-host, Martin. How's
0: it going?
1: Doing good, we're doing good. We're, we're uh, into the second week of our Halloween series. Uh, of course, it's the Carpenter series, So Creepy It's Carpenter. As I we... thought we
0: were doing Romero.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Don't confuse me. I'll get completely lost here. <laughs> um, as we mentioned in our first uh, episode on the So Creepy It's Carpenter series, this is going to be a series of movies that we cover from Carpenter, um, obviously horror movies for the Halloween season, and we're going to go through the good, the bad, the awful of all of Carpenter's filmography uh, from the horror spectrum, except for the Halloween movies, of course, because we've already done those. So we're not going to return to those again. Um, last time we did Vampires, which was a movie that neither of us had seen before. It was an interesting uh, experience, to say the least. Uh, sort of a medium range of the uh, Carpenter-o-meter for his uh, output. And, As you so eloquently said
0: last week in his ouvre,
1: Mm-hmm. And... Um, Today, we've got one of the the good Carpenter films, one of the ones that really put him on the map as a master of horror. Um, this has been post Halloween, a couple of years, and um, you know you'll see a lot of familiar faces, a lot of people returning from the Halloween series, people that Carpenter liked to work with quite a bit because he uh, he definitely had his uh, his favorites people that he wanted to make movies with, people that he wanted to have on his productions. and He's literally only missing Kurt Russell. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. And the movie from 1980 is very misty. The Fog. So, The Fog is a movie that I have seen a few times. Um... It has – it's not – so surprisingly, it's not one that I find myself returning to a lot for some reason. Um, I actually haven't seen it in a while. I want to say it's probably been years since I've last seen The Fog. So it was a good uh, reprisal of, um, you know, actually getting to see this movie. And I think you said the same. I think you said, you you know, you haven't seen this one in a while and actually you got a little bit mixed up with what The Fog was, right?
0: Yeah, my mind kept thinking of The Mist –
1: you you would be you know forgiven for that mistake considering the fog the mist they're very sim- similar synonyms for similar weather patterns um but you know the fog is um is certainly a follow up to halloween that i think works really well um as we'll talk about when we get into the film itself you know i think that coming so close to one of Harpenter's other really successful horror movies. Um, you can, you can just see him kind of getting into a groove in the fog. Um, I, and I think, you know, that, that that's present with everything that happens, you know, it's the writing, it's the mood, it's the soundtrack. Um, and certainly Deborah Hills comp, uh, you know, her, her, uh, um, writing like, because she was a, a, you know, a, a, another writer on this film, they shared the credit. Her um, contribution to the movie is certainly palpable. Um, something that we don't really think about so much, but Halloween and the Fog really do have a signature from Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Um, it's something that kind of gets overlooked, especially um,
0: early on in the career.
1: I'd say it's definitely a companion piece,
0: stylistically.
1: It sure is, yeah. I think I think it feels very, very similar to Halloween. And uh, it gives off a presence. And, you know, I, I don't want to get in too far into that in the intro. But it certainly does have a mood that evokes the same sa- sense of, um, you know, atmosphere and uh, what I like to call, like, palpable dread almost um, that Halloween has, too. So, with the fog you know it's it's an interesting movie because i think it's a really it's at at its core it's a really it's got a really simple idea right it's it's a coastal town that has a pirate ghost story and if you think to like local legend for towns like this most of the time there is some sort of like pirate ghost story that can that you know, has evolved over time and I think Carpenter is really capitalizing on the traditional elements of ghost story um, and then adding to it with some social commentary um, that, you know, is pretty prevalent in his films, Um, you know, especially the earlier ones. There's definitely a lot of social commentary that he chooses to, Infusing in it and I would say that even in the fog it's not really that um hidden you know it's it's pretty external um and and sometimes even dropped in exposition so what did I guess what was your feelings coming into the fog because you said you didn't really remember it uh like the specifics of it but you hadn't seen it for a while um did you remember it being like a quality film or you know something one of Carpenter's better <laughs> films or
0: no, to be honest with you, I don't really have much remembrance of it. Mm. I haven't probably seen it in, like, 15 years. Yep. Um, I just kind of remember Adrian Burbo being in it. And I think the fact that I was mixing up with The Mist says a lot of how it kind of impacted me when I saw it. Mm-hmm. So, it wasn't anything my, like, 15, 16-year-old mind...
1: uh Latched on to.
0: Latched on
1: to. Well, yep. you know, uh definitely seeing it in a new lens now. And they um you know they used to play it quite a bit um because the fog really doesn't have much in the way of requiring edits for uh TV. So it, it definitely got a lot of airtime. Um I remember seeing it quite <laughs> a bit on my on uh, uh TV shows and or um like AMC um a,
0: you know, say AMC and I think sci fi.
1: Yep. well, uh, it got a quite a bit of playtime. Um and then it got a remake. In the 2000s. and you know which we didn't- I have
0: not like I said, I have not seen. Like I said, I was mixing that up with the medicine, Yeah, so that's not my bad.
1: We haven't covered that one. We didn't cover it for remake a ween last time.
0: Well, when we do remake ween two, we'll have
1: to remake a ween we- part two. The because, return.
0: Because before we were just basically covering stuff that we had covered but in remake form.
1: Mm-hmm. So we'll have to do it again. Um all right, so well, Obviously, we can take a break because I don't want to get too far into talking about the fog. It's easy to get caught, like, caught up in, in discussing everything. Take a break from the intro for a second and we'll step aside to our beer talk for today. Last time, we didn't have a new beer really or it wasn't a, um, a uh, planned beer. This time we do because Martin was kind enough to stop and get us one that we could talk about for the show and, and share it around. So if you want to start and go into the beer that you got for today's show, go right ahead.
0: So today I got us a wonderful uh, little – I got us a wonderful little – Beverage. Brew. Beverage. It's um, – <laughs> um, seeing as we're in the season of Oktoberfest and we love our Oktoberfest here and it's our Brian and I's favorite style of beer – Ah, uh, the Marsin. I decided to get something. I believe we've done their Oktoberfest on the podcast a long time ago. Uh, but we usually don't drink from this bre- uh, brewery that often, which is Lion Kugels. Because around here in upstate New York, it's mainly just... We usually just kind of get hit with all their shanties, which are good. But you, I, at least for me, really have to be in the mood for it. Like, I like their lemon, like their classic lemon summer shandy. It's really good. Got to be in the mood for it. And like the wintertime, they do have a very good, like, blackberry shandy. It's really good. But other than that, like, a lot of their other offerings we haven't really tried out. I mean, I, I don't I like the canoe. I don't know if you had, like, the, like, the, their porter that they have mm-hmm. or their, like, canoe. I, like, I haven't had that. I haven't had, like, the canoe paddler, pale ale or the regular Lion Kugels. I think I've only really had the Shandies near Oktoberfest, which I remember thinking was pretty good, but not like anything outstanding for Oktoberfest. So when I was at Hannaford last night, which is a local uh, grocery store in the area, I saw in the beer aisle Lion Kugels had a beer, which is a collaboration lager that they did with Hofbrau, which is based in Germany. And we've done their Oktoberfest before, which is very good. And we've talked about how delightful their... Uh, Oktoberfest kegs are. Mm-hmm. So I decided, like, let's give this a shot. So, got the 12-pack of the Hofbrau Lightning Cool Collab, which is an amber lager, which is basically just... It, it's a Marzen. It's, an, it's a classic-style Oktoberfest. And the difference here is they ha- blend American hops with German malt. Now... Do I notice the difference between like, the, oh, they're using American hops instead of German? Not really. But overall, it's a nice Oktoberfest. It's got your classic, biscuity, bready notes to it. Nice and bready, but still crisp, refreshing, easy to drink and to enjoy on a nice cold day like it is today.
1: Yeah, I agree. I It's a pretty solid beer, and I think that Um, what this does is it does have that nice biscuity malty flavor to it. Um, may not be as heavy of a biscuity flavor as sometimes a Marzen has, but then there's a nice crispness of the hop profile at the end, um, which makes it very tasty, very drinkable. Um, because it's not overwhelming to the palate of getting just like biscuit flavor, uh, maltiness. And I think that works really well in this beer's favor because it doesn't feel too heavy. Um, so there is the drinkability factor. I think it's only—I um, um, want to say it's like five point five percent, maybe. I'm looking. I'm not even it. sure if it says uh, on the can. Yeah, yeah, five point
0: four. It's right in the yeah, top right? 5.4%, Yeah, five point four
1: percent. Which I think you know again is a an, is another factor in drinkability here. Um, and I, I, I think this Amber Lager is, is a really solid one. Um, so one of the reasons why I sometimes stay away from and is I tend to think of them as like a, I don't know, like a, one of the big beer, um, companies. And, uh, so, so it just doesn't always draw my attention, but in this case, this is a really solid beer with a nice tradition behind it. So again, this beer is attempting to get, um, at the Reinheitsgebot, the, uh, the German spirit of purity, you know, of using like German purity ingredients. Um, And I think it, I think they've done a really good job with this. It it definitely tastes, um, I would say like a German style beer and it doesn't have too much of the American flair that you might think of um, when we think about some of the other beer styles that, that have like the German element to them. So good snag.
0: Yeah, I like it. Like, I, I am, I, I hate to sound like an idiot, but I am kind of noticing a little bit more as I'm drinking this. Uh, a little bit more of like a, I, I wouldn't say American hop, but like it's definitely a little bit like, you know, a little pioneer, mm-hmm. you know, a little, you know, fresher. I like it. I like it a lot, you know, and I'm going to be so sad when, like, in a half a month, the Mars series uh, season's over with and they're already trotting out our uh, winter beers.
1: Yeah, I'll be both sad and excited for winter beers because I do like winter beers as well Um, with the toned down cinnamon and toned down raisin flavors, of course, as we've discussed on the show before. Winter warmers with those heavy raisin notes are, are not my favorite. I drink them, but they're not my favorite.
0: You know, Sam Adams now just refuses to release Old Fuzzywig on a spite.
1: Yeah, that is that is really annoying to me. I wish they would just release Old Fuzzywig in its own pack. You know, just
0: maybe, maybe we should visit uh, Jim Cook like the ghost of Christmas Past. You know, tell him like nice Old
1: Fezzowig w- go because it's such a nice Dickinsony beer. You know, like woo, you know, like I love it. It says Christmas to me. Like, I don't know if it's just nostalgia. Because I remember one of my first beers for Christmas was Old Fezzawig. Maybe it's just nostalgia, but it says "Chris." It it spells out Christmas to me. You got to have no. the Old Fezzawig.
0: Because it also had that delightful, like I said, Dickens like label on it, like oh, yep. like you know, Merry Christmas, and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. now it says do Christmas stupid. to me. They're gonna do something stupid.
1: All right. Well, look out for the Line and Kugel's collaboration with. Uh, Huff Brown, and uh, let us know what you think about the Collaboration Lager. Definitely a solid beer for the uh, Halloween season. And you'll know which uh what brands are the Huff Brown brands because, we like we mentioned
0: before, all of their packaging comes with Chesty Bar Mates on it.
1: Well, this one doesn't. No, it
0: doesn't. It has like the nice, like, you know, like, oh, Bavarian Street meets Wisconsin mm. Street. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. A little, a little mash well, up there.
0: But that's my favorite uh, favorite part of Hofbrow. It's literally just pictures of ladies and their girdles serving yep. you steins of beer.
1: Absolutely. What more could you want when you're buying a Oktoberfest uh, keg, mini keg?
0: Makes me want to put my
1: lederhosen on. <laughs> Actually, I had sausage for dinner tonight. Fun fact.
0: I had sausage for dinner the other night, but it was like it's a spicy Italian sausage. Yeah, that
1: was ours, too. It wasn't a German style, and we didn't throw sauerkraut on it. Oh.
0: I was really sad because I wanted to put sauerkraut With that and I, when I was at the store I couldn't find it Found it when I bought this though Because I was looking like okay where do they keep the sauerkraut And then I found like your wife said It's right by the It's in the canned vegetable section now
1: Ah uh, The joys of being an adult Shopping for your dinner
0: Asking yourself
1: Where, where do they keep this Where's the sauerkraut all right, on to The Fog. All right, so the first thing I will say is I pretty much like every single artwork piece for The Fog. I think they have some really good posters. If you look at it on IMDb, the uh, original poster with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, um, almost in like a Night of the Living Dead style shot of trying to keep the, the ghost pirates out of the door. It's a great artwork. The new artwork. That was done for Scream Factory's uh, Steelbook and Blu-ray releases. Also great artwork. And you know why? Because The Fog has really good ca- uh, villain designs for the ghosts. At first, I thought the pirates were a little... Meh, you know, like, I thought it was a little cheesy. when uh, Back when I had seen The Fog for the first time. But now, I kind of like the design. I think it has a uniqueness to it. That, um, you know, lends its presence to the film. And then also, it has to do with the mood that Carpenter creates too. Um, because, you, you know, obviously if you just put some shadowy figures in there and you're not, if there's no tension. You're not really going to care that much. It's not going to do anything for you. But with tension, the character design is pretty well done. Thoughts?
0: Yeah, right. It reminded me a lot of like Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: Yeah, to a certain extent. Yep. <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, just expecting like where's Jack Sparrow?
1: <laughs> well, this was but, a lot earlier not, than uh, Pirates of the not, Caribbean. So. Well,
0: and it's also a lovely infusion of it. I know what you did last summer with the meat hooks and the fish hooks that they're oh, using sure. to. Yep. But I, I, I do kind of, I, I, kind of, I appreciate the fact that they. S- stay away from kind of showing us what the pirates look like until the very end. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of shadowy figures in the background.
1: Slasher uh, elements, yeah, yep.
0: Yeah, enveloped by the fog. Um when we do get to see them it's very brief, but it's pretty cool. They got like this nice zombie effect with like worms and maggots on them. Mhm. Really cool. Part of the leprosy. Uh, yep, and the whole them running around with the whole like meat hook things, you know, it's pretty Cool and badass, so I think you know, I like it overall, and I like the fact that they're shrouded in mystery for the most part. It gives that ambiguity gives it like a lot of lot more tension to
1: the to what's going on in the film. Yeah. So the fog, I guess I should, probably should have gone into this before, but the fog is a story about a coastal town that's being plagued, obviously, by the fog. In the Antonio fog. Bay Antonio yeah I love that name Antonio Bay I'm not really sure where that came from but it's a very uh it's a very interesting uh, name for a town a coastal town
0: should just be called Antonio Banderas
1: yeah <laughs> Antonio Banderas,
0: Banderas oh the Antonio Banderas California you don't know it but in 10 years he's gonna be a big star
1: so the fog is about Antonio Bay. The fog is creeping in. There's a big fog bank. And guess what? Adrian Barbeau is our, our main narrator, a Stevie, who is a, a lighthouse keeper/slash uh, radio host from the lighthouse who loves to give nightly, like every six minutes, weather reports. Like did you notice that at the beginning of the movie? Like Stevie like because there's that whole there's a pretty long credit sequence of like, you know, we're going through the, the uh the, the town and seeing like the different coastal areas in the lighthouse and and Adrian Barbeau is delivering the the news reports over the radio. And there's like literally like a jazzy song for like three minutes and then Adrian Barbeau comes on again and is like and um, I see that the weather has kind of crept up on us, and it's looking like a, you know, it's looking like a fairly clear night. But we'll hear from the meteorologist soon. And then, like another three minutes goes by, and she's like, "And it's a nice, clear night. It's twelve oh six p.m. Or, a.m. And we're uh, in the midst of a great night." And it's like, "Wow, this lady really likes to give up-to-the-date weather reports."
0: Well, she's very, like I said, she's very much like the lady from the Warriors. Like, can you dig it? The Warriors out on the run. She's like, all right, listen here, all you sailors out there going out into the night to drink some Budweiser. We have some smooth jazz for you. <laughs> 1340 Antonio Bay's favorite station.
1: Well, you know what? Though? And then she just
0: and she just keeps doing that over and over again. It's like no wonder why these sailors are getting drunk. They're having to listen to. You know, like, dee, you know, like a little well,
1: two-man jazz break and then like,
0: all right, here's another song for you, you cats out there on the ocean.
1: Well, see, in the late 70s and early 80s, you're pretty hard up if you weren't living in like on 42nd Street. You know, you were trying to find whatever you could for your – to get your rocks off, right? So it seems like those fishermen are listening in late at night. They're getting drunk and they're like, oh, we gotta, we got to tune in for Stevie. She sounds – Pretty sultry.
0: I wonder if it's that Adrian Barbeau.
1: Yeah, it's 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 like the thing to do in this town. Like everyone's tuning in because Stevie is so sexy. It's like it's like radio sex coming over the, the over the air here. And, you know, she's delivering such risque uh, reports about. The fog and the clear night skies on their uh, centennial anniversary. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, it's music to my ears. But um, which, by the
0: way, too, like kids out there, not only is this a radio station that plays things like eight tracks,
1: cassettes and records,
0: it's an AM station. Not even FM. This is a fucking AM station.
1: I mean, it seems like this is a pretty tight knit town. So that's literally the only radio station that is coming in in Antonio Bay. That's the only thing they're paying attention to.
0: I know, but who's like? So what's running on the station when she's not at the lighthouse? Yeah, it's
1: true. Like because she's only there at night. She's only keeping tabs at night. So what are they? What are they? Were they putting on on the air at the the, the uh, Yankees game? Got the Yankees uh, afternoon game on?
0: Hi, folks. Welcome to John Sterling and Susan Waldman here for your New York
1: Yankees. Yeah, I just... I love the the incorporation of the radio in this movie because it does feel of a time, right? You know, because it's one of those movies that is the small-town lifestyle. Um, Everybody's listening to this radio station. And there even comes a point where Stevie is basically proclaiming that she needs help for her son uh, when the fog is actually setting in and, uh, you know, basically asking anyone listening to go to her house to help with her son. And you know, obviously now there's XM radio and FM radio and most people are not listening to WENT over here um, in, in our area you know, just like religiously where they would be able to uh, respond to Stevie's. Uh, cries for help but it is certainly of a time but i do love that element to the movie because it does lend a very interesting like narrative to it and we get that very beautiful oceanic vista of adrian barbeau walking down to the lighthouse that i said looks very exorcist-esque like you make one wrong step and you are rolling into the (laughs) drink and that
0: I thought you're. I thought when you said that she was going to go, like, falling ass over tea kettle down the hole. Doesn't it? I mean, and,
1: and like, <laughs> to be honest with you, the stairwell is so long that it's like, oh, and she's she's been rolling for five minutes. And no one could stop her.
0: <laughs> Carpenters just sitting there like, keep the shot.
1: Can you imagine just, like, picking keep up speed, rolling down that staircase to the point where you're like, I'm, I know I'm going in at some point. I just don't know when it's going to happen. I cannot stop myself. It's somebody a great needs, shot, but
0: somebody needs to tell me when they think uh, what they think Carpenter smokes because I can just see him like lighting up like some like uh, Lucky Strikes and being like keep the shot going.
1: Well, speaking keep of shot. Carpenter, he shows up here early on in the movie. He's uh, a the, vagabond. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> He's the assistant uh, to uh, uh, Father Malone, and uh, he looks like a, a Tom Petty. Guy that <laughs> rolled in manure Like he he looks like he's You know A very disheveled looking man In this movie
0: Everyone's favorite vagrant
1: That's right Shows up real quick G- You gotta Gotta be on the lookout His name is Bennett And then interestingly blink, there's also let's say, bl-
0: sh- let's say blink and you miss him
1: yeah, Pretty much yeah be- and, and that's actually what happens to Father Malone Cause he says he's gonna leave Father Malone says Oh wait a second Bennett And he's gone <laughs> That's carpenter for you. I can't even be bothered to stick around.
0: Don't you want to be in your? Nah, nah, no, nah, 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 nah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so we digressed quite a bit. But the fog is about it's coastal town, Ant- Antonio Bay Lighthouse, run by Stevie. Jamie Lee Curtis is for some reason hitchhiking around out in the the wild. It finds a ride with Tom Atkins' character, Nick Castle. And what a
0: name? What a poor name.
1: Nick Castle. Yeah, but like, the porn name like, doesn't what? match in this case because Tom Atkins is missing a vital component of, of his Tom persona. Atkins.
0: Yeah, Tom Atkins, mustache.
1: He's missing it this time. So right there and then, Jamie Lee Curtis hitchhiking into town should have been like, oh, excuse me, you're not my type. You're missing a mustache.
0: Well, no, she she was like, when like she's hitchhiking, he comes to a screeching halt and picks her up <laughs> and she's like, are you weird? Yeah, I'm weird as he's like drinking and driving. And she's just like
1: <laughs> Yeah. She's, she's like, oh, like, Oh good. Good. Good, you're weird. I, I'm glad. Yeah. I and always I,
0: wanted to fuck a weird guy.
1: I made a note of that too. It's like, ah, the eighties, the good old days when you can just be out at midnight drinking from Budweiser can freely.
0: Nice, you know, church shot, uh, you know, old. Church key know. can. Need to go back to that, but yeah, he's just sitting there, hands it off to her like you know. Just imagine I wanted to see the scene in this film where he gets pulled over like, Sir, yes. You been drinking and driving tonight? Yeah. Alright, sir. Have one for me too.
1: <laughs> just be careful. <laughs> yeah, I know it's great. It's... Times, were, f- times were times a- were changing.
0: You gonna fuck that girl? Probably. Good. Do you even know her? No. Good even better. Good, good. <laughs> have a good night, friend.
1: At the beginning of the movie, there's a lot of disparate elements here, right? So you've got Adrian Barbeau, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Tom Atkins, all of whom could very well be the main character of the movie, right? Because all of them are really, you know, they have been previously. They are well known. We're not really sure who's the focus in this case. And that's an interesting part about the fog is that there's really not a focus per se.
0: Eh, I would I would disagree because I don't think Jamie Lee Curtis is ever to, meant to be the focus of the film. It's either it's Adrian Barbeau and Tom Atkins because mm. at times uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character in this feels very ancillary. And yeah, kind of, and just kind of there. She does. Of, yeah, she kind of like, slips oh. off. Like oh we just need somebody in there for Tom Atkins to fuck because <laughs> that's like literally her whole character arc in this film. She meets Tom Atkins, they fuck, and they're like he's like oh by the way what's your name again? And she
1: <laughs> weren't you moving then, on to Vancouver?
0: Yeah, and then, and then <laughs> she's just all along for the ride, and she's like really disheartened. Like oh these people are dead, and it's like. Well, you don't even know these people. Why do you care? <laughs> Tom Atkins knows these people, and he doesn't even fucking care. Just,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. He you know, even so, care. She, she,
0: so she's she is definitely feels very ancillary to what's going on in the film.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with that. I was just saying, you know, with the names alone, you're like, who's going to be the main character in this? You know, it could be Adrian Barbeau, could be Jamie Lee Curtis, can't be Janet Leigh. She's a little too old for this at this point. She's uh-huh. fucking
0: – they ripped her straight out of Jaws but gave her a little passion. <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. As, as it,
0: the mayor who's like, help back. And like, we're going to have this event.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, so <laughs> let me get back to the synopsis. So you got Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Tom Atkins coming into the town. Tom Atkins lives there. Uh, the fog's rolling in. And we find out that they're having a centennial event in Antonio Bay. It's the 100th anniversary. They're going to celebrate it. And Father Malone finds out from a – journal that he finds in the in the rectory he finds out you know what our founding fathers of this town they fucking murdered some people who were lepers going to try to start their own colony and they stole his money his gold so the whole place was based on lies and murder <laughs> and that really shakes father malone up and obviously that is the intention of the the pirate ghost they're back from the grave and they are pissed and they need six um, – what do they call them? Six sacrifices I guess um, to carry out the curse of Antonio Bay Something and find the gold. That part of it, the whole idea behind like the six sacrifices and stuff like that, little bit out. You know, like, doesn't really have a lot of context to it. Kind of kind of skimped on in the script from my point of view. It's not really explained all that well. But I don't really think it needs to be. I don't even think they really needed the six people, really. They could have just said, you know, these pirate ghosts are pissed. It's the 100th anniversary. They're coming back from the dead. And they want to wreak havoc on the town of Antonio Bay. Not, you know, it's like the sins of the father type thing. They don't really care who it is that they're coming after. They're just mad. And that would be too, to be honest with you. So think about that scenario. You have leprosy. You say, you know what? I understand. No one wants to look at my body falling apart. I'm going one mile down the line to an island and I'm taking my money with me. And I'm taking all my leper friends with me. (laughs) And the people of Antonio Bay say, you know what? I don't really want to live that close to lepers. So instead of letting these lepers just go live by themselves, I think we're going to mur- murder them instead. I mean, that is pretty shitty to do. Obviously gold was involved too, and not not really that important because they ended up melting it down into a big fucking cross. So it wasn't the gold wasn't that important. The biggest issue was These lepers are kind of gross, guys.
0: They're nasty.
1: Yeah. We want to – instead of letting them just live alone by themselves, which they probably should have should do, right? Don't spread the leper – leprosy to other people. They're going to live alone. Instead of letting them do that, we kind of have a problem. It's like the HOA people, right? We kind of have a problem (laughs) with your house having like a couple of gutters hanging off the sides a little bit bringing down the HOA so we'd rather murder you instead <laughs> so that's that's my synopsis of what happens with these pirates so I would be pissed too as a leprosy pirate I'd be a little bit mad be a little offended so my arm's falling off you know what are you gonna do I got leprosy it's uncurable <laughs> just let me live in peace but no They had to interfere and murder people in the fog, and so I think they're a little bit justified in coming back. Now, are they justified in trying to kill a bunch of people that don't really have any relation to the people from 100 years ago? Probably not. But do leprosy pirate ghosts really care about logistics and morality like that? Probably not either. So, I see it both ways.
0: It's a fun idea like uh like what's the premise behind this film? Uh you know, there's a curse. Oh, why is there a curse? Um pissed off Spaniards uh want to <laughs> you know, vengeful.
1: Ooh. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think it's uh you know, it's it's an interesting idea for sure. It's a it's a cool play on the traditional ghost story. Especially the traditional pirate ghost story, because there's always ghost stories about like pirate ships, right? uh there's a pirate ship that shows up here and there, it's lost at sea, and there's a ghost ship that occurs. You know, it's it even goes back to like the Flying Dutchman. That's a,
0: that's what I was thinking about the entire time we were watching this. It's right? Just like just playing in my head the, when, every time the Flying Dutchman shows up in SpongeBob, like you know the drunken sailor playing.
1: Right. It's great. But so it like it harkens back to to all those sorts of legends and yet it's you know it's a it's an interesting idea that plays off of that and the way that we get to that is is also well done I would say because it is all exposition it's delivered from a diary that Father Malone reads and he reads these entries to um janet lee's character kathy who is who is like hell bent she's like you know what i don't really care what the fuck happened in the past we're having the centennial <laughs> maybe you need to just take a chill pill father malone i'm gonna have a doctor come over he's gonna prescribe some xanax for you and we're gonna have the centennial <laughs> but it's all delivered by father malone from the journal and then in in the, happening at the same time tom atkins and jamie lee curtis are on a boat that has had its people disappear. They can't find them. And he's relating a tale about a gold doubloon that his father found that eventually disappeared. And it's kind of all set with this very, very moody, dready, dready, um, scenario, very, uh, moody atmospheric music. Um, I would say that, you know, it's effectively creating the sinister feeling for the audience and I think that it works really well, even though it is basically all exposition. Like it's a dump, right? It's the, what we know about the pirates and what we know about the town is all dumped on us by Father Malone reading that diary entry. And yet it works. Go figure. So just keep that in mind. If you have Carpenter's Synth Score, you can pretty much get anything done. You can dump exposition as needed. It will still be effective. So yeah, what did you uh what did you think about the um the way that this film weaves in like Stevie and uh Nick Castle and Jamie Lee Curtis's character together. Because like to, they're kind of all segmented.
0: Yeah, like I said, it's fine. Uh, at least I would say there's no real main character because we have three different folks. Well I'd say two different focuses You have Stevie and then you have Jamie Lee Curtis and Tom Atkins You know kind of acting together Because everything they do is together Um I'm fine and I like the premise Of You know I like Stevie being like Uh In the radio tower And being like oh you know I don't know what to do Etc cetera, etc cetera. But at the same time Uh it got a little annoying grating at times when she's at the fucking station and all you're hearing is like the music playing over and over again. All her, you know, little quips that she's got going on. Uh, but I think I, I think it works well, though. I think overall, you know, having that disengaged, you know, that engagement between, you know, two different protagonists is uh, it works well.
1: Yeah, I thought it was interesting because Adrian Barbeau doesn't really have that much to do in this movie besides deliver the the voiceover. Um she's kind of like lacks agency. She doesn't really do much of anything, and at the end of the movie she actually is pretty helpless because she's climbing up onto the top of the lighthouse. The pirates are coming after her, and she's only saved because they are able to vanquish the pirates um by giving him the giving the pirates the gold. And that, you know, saves everybody in the town, saves the, saves the, um, sends the fog away. So Stevie doesn't really do a whole lot. She's kind of there to deliver, uh, I don't know, like, I guess to create more tension, especially because, um, Nick Castle and Elizabeth, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, they have to go and save her son from the house. Um, I would argue that that scene is actually pretty tense. It has a really good moment of like with all the fog coming in and there's a, you know, someone was very busy with the dry ice, like (laughs) ordering it. Like, um, I can just see the conversation now. Like they put place the order, like you put in like a ton of dry ice. Was that like, was that, you know, is that literal? Was that figurative? Were you just saying a ton? Like, no, no, a ton. Yeah. No, a ton. This, this production, we a ton of dry ice.
0: We need a fuck ton. We need, we, you know, we need
1: like was it all the dry ice? Was that a typo? Did did you put in? Did you did you write that incorrectly? Nope. nope, a ton. But anyway, you know, I think they did a really good job with the setting the atmosphere with the fog because you're right. That is the most effective part of the fog. It's not the pirates that are like just you know, literally there standing. It's the fog that encompasses them. And just seeing their arms reaching out or the, the weapons coming out, the hooks coming out, that's the more effective part. And that you don't really know where it's going to come from. Um, I think that's what works the best. And so that scene in particular works really well because it uses the fog throughout all of that um, interior element in the house. And then as they get outside and they get stuck in the mud in the truck. Then you can actually see the pirate in the distance, and I think that works really well, you know because it's not used a whole lot where you see the actual body of the pirate that does a really good job with it, and then also aided by what I think is one of John carpenter's best scores. I think it's um I think you know I would say obviously Halloween, Prince of Darkness, and the Fog are my favorite scores from him um I think it's very it, Halloween-esque. it is. It's very very plodding, very synth heavy. Um it definitely resembles Halloween, but it, you know, it has its own feel to it. And I think he did a really good job with this one, giving it its own um dynamic, but still remaining very much connected to, you know, what he does best with the synth scores. Which I agree. I,
0: I do think it's uh very good. I don't know if I'd say standout, but it is very good. Like I said, it's very play, like this film overall plays a lot off of and is, like I said, a companion piece to Halloween. So this score here feels more like an extension, just like a lot of the elements in this film. Cause it's kind of the same thing with like the gore in this film too. Halloween is very muted in its kills. Here they up the ante. Not by making them overly gory, but you're actually seeing like, oh, this guy's getting you know stabbed in the face, or getting stabbed in the back, and then get stabbed several times over. You know, they make it
1: much more uh, pronounced. Yeah, I agree. Th- there's definitely um, an intention to be a little bit more gory, um, a little bit, a little bit more visceral. Um, I think part of that too, it just comes from the 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 difference between like the supernatural elements here. This one is really fueled by revenge. Whereas I would say Halloween is not necessarily fueled by revenge. You know, Michael Myers, no one really knows what his intention is. It's almost not even fueled by revenge at all. It's it's something else that he's driven to do. Um so there's more mechanicalness to it. Whereas you can see in the fog, there's more of a A personal yeah like a personal element to this it's what you know crime scene investigators would call overkill in a way you know it's it's personal it's intended it's emotionally related so that's that's vengeance in a nutshell
0: but yeah I agree I agree how about let me take a look at my notes real quick sure uh what did you think of... There's this fun little bit where when the ghosts are chasing after uh, Adrian Barbo's son, you have that whole chase going on in the house. And then Tom Atkins comes to save the day. And while he's grabbing the kid, dragging him through a broken glass, throwing him in the car, and then speed off on their way, Jamie Lee Curtis then moves over to this driver's side seat to mm-hmm. drive away mm-hmm. and then when she tries to drive away she's spinning the wheels did you notice the look that Tom Atkins gives her? It's, oh, yeah. first, it's a split second but like he's just like looking at her like oh my god this woman's gonna fucking kill us all yeah <laughs> it's like all, all I could think of was just like classic like <laughs> women I did driving. notice that
1: <laughs> yeah I, th- I thought about that too where it was it was almost like you know because he, he was he's like giving instruction there like come she on, should sh- know, sh- right? It's yeah, like, like sh- sh- you could just sh- imagine, like he's thinking, like, would it be faster if I just got out and you know got in the driver's seat? Mm-hmm. Like, wait, could I, could I just do it faster? Um,
0: I laughed so fucking yeah. hard at that. I had to, I had to go, like back and forth on it because I was just like laughing literally so fucking hard at it. like, come on, come on, and then just like him being like looking at it, like <laughs> could never trust a woman to do this.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm, that I'm saying.
0: I say, I agree with that, but just like his, like sh- his look was just fucking perfect, beautiful.
1: <laughs> so we didn't go over who would you pick in this. Who who is the the looker in this movie? Is it Adrian Barbeau or is it Jamie Lee Curtis? It's,
0: it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh,
1: you say Jamie Lee by a mile. You like the little. Uh, boyish cut
0: her mullet, mullet her hair. Fossum, no I don't but I would say <laughs> no, I, uh, don't. <laughs> I don't but I mean J- Jamie Lee Curse has always been somebody that I've found attractive so
1: that is interesting because my wife always brings up the fact in Halloween how she looks they made her look so frumpy no, looking. No, she, like she looks not. like 50 years old in that movie
0: yeah no she's not wrong she is frumpy she, I'm not saying about that no, I'm saying overall. Yeah,
1: yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. She's she's busty. She's uh she's got the the bod. She's got the attitude. I get I get what you're saying. Yeah. So I'm 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 saying Adrienne Barbeau. Uh, I think she's looking a little bit better in this movie. She's definitely you know she's definitely got um I, I like her hair. I like the uh the kind of like '80s teased look that she's got going on. Um, and I will say, though, that she has a serious case of morning smokers voice, because that one scene that she wakes up when her son wakes her up, um, she's obviously been working at night, but she wakes up and she's like, what is it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: she, what do you want? Yeah, yeah, she's like, what do you want, Andy?
1: What do you, <laughs> <laughs> she's got a, a serious case of smoker morning smokers voice. Super hoarse, but... I, I'm I'm saying Adrian Barbo. Res-
0: I I can respect it, but again, like I've I've always thought, I have always had a little thing for Jamie Lee Curtis. Or like I said not not in you know Halloween and such, but I mean just like overall, especially when she had that like short pixie cut in like the late '90s, early 2000s. Yep. So.
1: I'll even open it up one step further. How about Nancy Loomis, who Ooh. is? Nancy Loomis, who's um, Janet Lee's who? assistant in this, who? You don't know who Nancy Loomis is?
0: I know. But I'm just being an
1: asshole. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll even open up Nancy Loomis too.
0: <laughs>
1: so if you do have a, a response to that, you can let us know Jan- in the comments.
0: Everyone knows Janet Lee was the best.
1: Well, to be honest with you, I would say everyone knows Tom Atkins was the best, but he's missing his mustache. No, so he's can't, not. Yeah, no,
0: he's not. The fact that he doesn't have his mustache, he just looks like an idiot drunk in this film.
1: <laughs> Otherwise, if he had the mustache, it would totally be Tom Atkins all the way. If Unfortunately, it's we it's don't. Not get, Hall-
0: it's not Halloween three. Exactly, exactly.
1: We don't get the ass shot from Halloween three in this one. S- seriously, lacking in the nudity department from Tom Atkins. Um, have have half a mind to write to John Carpenter and say, "Why don't you include Tom Atkins' ass?"
0: Hell, I, f- I like I said, that's why I feel like half the reason why Jamie Lee Curtis is even in this film are characters there because Tom Atkins like, no, I won't be on screen unless I get to have you know sex with somebody. <laughs> and then jo- John's like, "All right, all right and I know someone who will do it. Her mom's gonna be in here too." All
1: right, so we didn't do this on the last episode, but. If you had to give a creepy rating to the fog, what would you like? Where does that fall on the creepy rating? What do you mean, creepy? On the so creepy it's carpenter rating.
0: Oh, um.
1: Meaning, is it a good? Is it a bad? Is it a mediocre so so carpenter?
0: I'd say above average. I'd say above average.
1: Okay. It's pretty good. And when you say above average, you are referencing what as the best versus what is the worst well well i guess you don't have to tell us the the worst yet but what you're referencing it in regards to like put it put it in like a spectrum like where does it fall between what and what
0: Hmm, on the carpenter scale
1: yeah on a carpenter scale
0: all right let's take a look i'll say is it
1: metric or is it english
0: Um, (laughs) we're gonna go with indian Um, it's creepier Hmm You know what? No, I say it's uh it's on the lower creepy scale. As I'm looking through his filmography. It's creepier than vampires. But is it creepier than Halloween? No. Is it creepier than Christine? No. Is it creepier than the thing? Definitely not. Mm.
1: Um, that's interesting. Um, that you would say Christine. Be interested to. Uh, so I've spent a while since I've seen Christine too. So it would be interesting when we when we revisit that one. How I feel. It's been
0: a while for me too. So I, it's
1: it may change. Always, you know, it's
0: always pending to change. But I would I would say no because I think though it did in up the intensity in this film from Halloween. It's not, and, it's, and it is more visceral, I think, in the fact, because it is more visceral, it kind of loses that creepiness. Because as you said, like, uh, when you talk about Michael Myers, what makes Michael Myers such a compelling um, villain in the first film is the fact that he's so ambiguous, and we don't know what his motives are, what it is. We're just going off of Donald Pleasant saying that he's, you know, evil itself, and he just goes. And then the films have done varying damage to that concept ever since, <laughs> right. but, you know. So here it's very upfront, and it has a set premise, and I think it does it well. However, I would say though, it varies because, like that whole bit where she's on the radio, like, and it's going down this street, and then it's going down this street, <laughs>
1: and it's
0: going down. And stay away from that. It's like. How the fuck from your lighthouse can you see yeah, every goddamn road? I
1: know that's what I was thinking too. It's How do like, you possibly have an aerial view of Antonio Bay from the lighthouse?
0: You know, like like a perfect. You know, like is she sitting yeah. there with like a map? Like, oh no, I see the fog going down. Second half, now we see it going down. <laughs> Paradise Point. You yeah. know? It's, yep. <laughs> so it's it, it's that to me is you know kind of like I said it's tedious and like and the creme de la creme i don't know if i think it is for you too but the creme de la creme for creepiness out of all carpenters the thing so i it definitely doesn't come anywhere near the thing
1: yeah i mean i probably would put it so i would say it's it's uh it's on the upper scale of creepy it's certainly i would say it's below halloween um Prince of Darkness, the thing. So, probably there, and then, and then after that, um, it, I, it's 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 middling.
0: Because again, yeah. like into the mouth of madness, I would say sure, is kind of, true. Is, cre- is creepier than this.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to say. I might I might say the fog, then in the mouth of madness. So that might be my scale, but I'm not sure. It's it's hard to say. They're all they all fall somewhere in the middle. Like, and that's what you get though when you have some of Carpenter's best works and then you kind of have to push everything else to the middle. Right. And then, you know, everything else kind of becomes middling, but I would say the fog kind of falls somewhere in that middle area. Definitely better than vampires. I'm sure when we do all of the films for this series, we'll, we'll finally rank it in that last episode and like kind of go through and say like this falls here and this falls here. Uh, I just wanted to get a, a kind of an, an idea of where the fog fell for you at this point. Um, one other thing that I wanted to bring up, as you mentioned, you know, some of the, um, the elements about the fog and how it kind of has a standalone plot and you're not really expecting it to continue. What do you think about that jump cut end there where the um, father Malone is like, why not me? And then the pirates are there and the final slice of the, of the the sword it ends the movie. What did you think about that?
0: I like that. I was totally fine with that. I liked that a lot. Uh, the fact that like you think like the these leper pirates have been satisfied, and then they show up and I'm like now fuck you, we're still getting ear sticks. Even after you giving us your golden cross,
1: yeah. So, what do you think about that though? Do you think the six is it, and then they're gone? They're like, all right, we're satisfied. Or do you think the ending is meant to be like, well, they're not going to be satisfied no matter what? No, I, I think that they're not going to be satisfied. So it's just kind of. <laughs> so you think the mist was, or the fog dissipating was kind of just like, yeah, yeah, you know what? we decided that we're not well, we're not satisfied.
0: I, well, I think it, they were satisfied for everybody else, but then they still had the Gotcha.
1: Okay, so um, you're you're yeah, so you're saying they're not satisfied. They just want to they want revenge against the people the the ancestors that really did have an effect on their you know, their deaths. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I get that. I I don't think we're supposed to think that the fog is like, you know, going to continue. I think it's dissipated except for that final death. Um, and I think that's what, you know, that's what stopped it from becoming anything else. It, it does, it's just really a standalone plot. You can't really get away with it again. You know, I don't think there could be a fog, two where you continue to explore the same ideas. It's It's not really a movie that you can get more mileage out of.
0: No, I agree. Unless... You tell, like, uh, you mix it up and make, like, you know, different stories. Like, uh, not of that area, but, like, of different, like, uh, coastal areas where things can happen. Mm,
1: yeah, like, a, almost like an anthology. Instead of yeah. pirates ne- next time, you know, there's a different reason for the fog. and Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's more like the fog becomes a supernatural element of allowing things to happen versus just, you know, Pirates come out of it, (laughs) you know, I don't think you can get away with that again. It was just the, the way that they were able to, you know, seek their revenge from the, from beyond the grave. You know what the, too, the fog really reminds me of an EC comics story, you know, from like tales from the crypt or, Mm -hmm. um, one of those, you know, uh, the vault of horror, something like that, where it has a very vengeance driven storyline that I could see really coming out of an EC comics, uh, storyline. It's very, very, um, now that I think about it, very uh, reminiscent of some of those stories.
0: No, I agree. It definitely feels like it could have been shortened down and fit into like a Tales of the Crypt uh,
1: uh, anthology. Yeah. All right, so um, on a scale of zero to ten road road beers, what would you give The fuck
0: I'd give it a seven and a half. I think it's very good. Um. A little underwhelming at parts. The first like 15 minutes is kind of a slog. Just because there's just so much slow buildup going on. But once it hits its stride it does hit its stride and it does it well. Once you finally get introduced to you know what the premise of the film is about these leper pirates that are out for vengeance. Um. That's really cool. I like the idea. I think it's really cool. I think it's shot really well. I think Carpenter does a really great job in this film shooting it. It's got a nice style. I love the fact that it's, it's shot in location. So you got a nice, lot of nice location shots here. Um, I think everyone does a great job in the film. I think Adrian Barbo is great. Tom Atkins is Tom Atkins. Jamie Lee Curtis, I say, is a little underwhelming, but. She, like I said, her character's very ancillary in this film. She doesn't really need to be here; she's kind of there, but she does well with what she's given. Um, I like the fact that they up the go up the kills from Halloween. They're not very creative because it's still just slash and kill, but they're showing more of what's going on. Kind of up that slasher Annie that we would see later on, and it does have a lot of ideas kind of borrowed from other films. With like Jaws being one of them. But overall I'd say it's a very interesting film. It's worth a watch. It's a lot of fun. It's only 90 minutes. Very enjoyable. Quick watch. Um, outside like the first 15-20 minutes. It doesn't feel like a slog after that. Because there's so much build up going on. But I'd say overall something to check
1: out and watch. Experience. Because it's not something I've done in a long time. Yeah, probably. I would give it an 8. Um, I think it's pretty effective. I think uh, it has a chilliness to it, a broodiness to it that um, works rather well. I think a lot of that is that comes from the atmosphere of um, Carpenter's shooting and his, uh, his um, score. And we'll see this pop up again as we do Prince of Darkness, which I think is probably the most effective brooding um, film in Carpenter's canon. Uh, But I think the fog comes fairly close to that. And I don't think it matches the um, Halloween's feel either, but it's pretty close. And I think it does a pretty good job as a a follow-up to Halloween um, with an interesting storyline. And I I really like the traditional ghost story element uh, of pirates. uh, That's kind of played up a little bit, given a little social commentary there. Uh, I think he does it rather well. Uh, I like the main characters that are interspersed throughout this. Um, you know, there's not really one focal point. The only problem with that is Adrian Barbeau does kind of get short shrift there. And, um, Jamie Lee Curtis does kind of fade into the background later on, kind of literally, um, at a certain point, especially in the climax, she kind of is just being held at a window by a pirate. And that's like her, her only contribution to that whole scenario. Uh, so she's kind of literally fades into the background. Um, but other than that, I think it's a, a pretty effective movie. It does what it does well, and um, you know, though it, it doesn't match some of the other um, highs that Carpenter has done in films, that's a pretty lofty goal anyway. And I think it does a pretty good job with what it what it attempts to do anyway. Um, and I think you know, people will have fun with it. You're right; first fifteen minutes or so is kind of uh, slow and and kind of uh, poorly paced. I think and. Some could argue that is Carpenter's M.O. Um, you know, Halloween, you could argue, is somewhat slowly paced at the beginning of the movie, too. Um, Prince of Darkness, for sure. Um, the thing is actually one that kind of transcends that. Doesn't really have a slowly paced uh, beginning. Uh, it's, it's actually, I think, well paced route. But I would I would argue that Carpenter does tend to lean towards slow burn rather than uh, really, you know, Jump start films. The only thing I will say he does use a lot of jump scares in this movie, uh, with, with loud sound effects. Um, right towards the opening, there's that rock that falls from the, from the wall, very loud jump scare. Uh, there's a couple others, uh, like the body falling out of the ship. So he uses those quite a bit in the fog, which is not something that he's always, you know, relied on. So kind of interesting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the fog's pretty good. It just doesn't match some of the best work from Carpenter. So, next week, I got to check our schedule here. But I think next week we're going to a re- uh, a worse one. Is mine. What
0: are we doing?
1: What are we doing? I want to say... We are going to be doing. Man, what are we doing? I got to look at my my schedule here. I think we're we're doing. uh of Mars. We are. We're doing go So Mars. So should
0: have saved that for last.
1: Well, you know what though. In my opinion. You don't want- it, it probably is not his worst. I actually have never seen Ghosts of Mars. Wow, I've never seen Ghosts of Mars. However, to be Frank,
0: I, I say to be frank, I saw it once back when it came out, and I remember liking it. So, oh,
1: okay, so there you go. Well,
0: so, I was like twelve, I was twelve years old. So yeah.
1: I think that the Ward is probably his worst, but that is my guess. Um, without having seen Ghosts of Mars, so we'll see how I feel about it. Um, Ooh,
0: it's got Jason Statham.
1: Mm-hmm. You can't go wrong with Jason Statham, right? As Jericho Butler. But uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. We'll see how <laughs> it goes. I'm interested because I know it is pretty infamous.
0: It's been so long. Like I said, I like I, said, I remember watching it when it came out on DVD and being like, yeah, it's, I like it. But like I said,
1: I mean, it's so long ago. Yep. Well, should be fun. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed our Fog episode. And hopefully you stick around for our the rest of our So Creepy It's Carpenter month. Hopefully you like our uh, intro as well. I spent a lot of time on it, so I hope you think you – know, I hope you enjoy the, the humor in it for sure. I still haven't sit, heard it. You'll have to listen. Uh, so thanks for listening. We are on pretty much any podcast app that you can think of. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, um, our home at anchor.fm. And uh, if you subscribe to us, leave us a nice rating. It helps us uh, get our name out there. We appreciate that. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter. You can search for us on there, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. And we have a Patreon page at patreon.com/slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. You can donate to us. You can also donate to us on our Anchor.fm uh, page as well. So whatever you choose to, uh, whatever platform you want to donate on, we appreciate whatever you can give. Helps us keep the podcast running. Helps us buy beer. Um, it always goes back to the beer. I'll tell you that. And, uh, finally you can write to us at blood and black run podcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you like about the show, what you don't like, uh, any films that you want to see us cover in the future. And we'll definitely take that into consideration. So next time we'll be back with, uh, some more so creepy. It's carpenter go some Mars next week. Cause we're doing this weekly throughout the season of Halloween and we hope to have you back. Take care. It's your
0: cue. <laughs> <laughs>